0: So I wanted to read from uh, 2 Timothy 1 as well. So let's turn to that before we uh, turn to our text from Proverbs 18, verse 1. So 2 Timothy 1, starting at verse 3, and we'll read to verse 14. I thank God whom I serve, as, I, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And let's turn to Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. So far, farther reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, this proverb that warns us against isolating ourselves stands in contrast to other places in Scripture that warn about following the crowd. We can think of Exodus 23, verse 2. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil. There's a warning in Scripture against mob justice. It's a warning against losing your mind to a false unity. This proverb, on the other hand, warns us about following your own desire and so breaking, so you become isolated from the community that is based on the truth of God and the good order of God. This proverb is particularly pertinent for our own day where not only is it possible to isolate ourselves from family, from the church, and from other institutions, but we're often encouraged to, due to a twisted understanding of freedom and equality. It's also a helpful reminder to conservative churches, as the temptation for conservative churches over the past century has been to isolate themselves from the broader society. So it's a wide A wide application for today. Solomon wrote this proverb in a time when Israel was wealthy and comfortable. That meant that there were opportunities for self-isolation that were not possible in a time where one was, through need, forced to get along with other people. When you're needy, that means you need other people a little bit of wealth, wealth, and then to put that together with technology, our, our technology today, it gives opportunity for isolation. And so we readily see the application in our own day. Our wealth, our, our prosperity here in North America does give opportunity for isolation. So our theme for today is the proverb itself. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. So all three points. We see this in, in life in general, in the church, and in the world. Our temptation to isolate ourselves comes from the sense that I may lose my own sense of self if I let myself become a part of this community, if I commit to this group of people, if I open myself up in this context. And especially today, the emphasis in our culture is on being unique individuals. And we're afraid that we lose that in becoming a member of, of something greater than ourselves. Of course, the problem is, is, if you're not part of one thing, you're often part of another thing. More negatively, we might even say, to seek your own desire in this way comes from a desire to be God. It's only God who is completely free of any outside influences. It's only God who is completely unique. We can't be God in that way. isolation may also come from the possibility of being hurt again my family has hurt me or my church has hurt me i will not let that happen again so i pull away now there may be wisdom in some distance we won't deal with that a lot today but there's some wisdom in keeping some distance in certain situations but isolation is a whole other step and isolation warns the proverb is not the answer and we'll explore that more as we work through how to understand this proverb we can connect this this fear this fear of being hurt this fear of losing self to the three categories of mind heart and will i may i may lose my individuality at the level of thinking feeling how i feel or action so i isolate myself it doesn't even have to be physical isolation I will think my own thoughts and I will refuse discussion on those thoughts that matter to me to the most. I don't care about what anybody else says. I'll, I'll not share my heart with my family because I'm afraid they will use it against me. I will do my own thing. I will not listen to or obey authority because I want to be my own. Or I again, I am afraid they will use the power I give them to hurt me. God's warning is clear. To isolate myself is to seek my own desire. If I isolate myself from my family or my community, I only have my own heart, that sinful heart, as guide over my life. I am completely subject to my own desire. Because I am subject to my own desire, the excuses I give for my self-isolation become more and more disconnected from reality. They're no longer reasonable, but pretexts, fake excuses for continuing to separate myself from the community. Because I've already isolated myself in my heart, I find the pretext I can to create further distance from my community, my family, my church. And maybe even my feelings of hurt come from my own self-deception about my relationship with my family or my community. Certainly not all, but a number of accusations of injustice pushed against the church come from individuals who have deceived themselves about their situation. They lose a sense of what's actually going on when you're stuck in your own mind. In this sense, isolation is more than just being alone. Martin Luther stood alone when he declared the truth of God. He was not isolating himself from the community. He was calling the community he was in back to the ways of God. He was calling his community back to their original commitments. In contrast, and and part of the same Reformation, we can think of particularly the Munster Anabaptists. They isolated themselves from the world around them and they became servants of their own desire. If, if, you study, if you've studied that in school, you'll have heard that they reinstated the practice of polygamy. At one point, one of their leaders proclaimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. They lost touch with reality because they rejected The good community of God. Isolation is not really something that can be proven in a strict sense. It's something that is revealed over time. And that's the point of this proverb. The one who isolates himself will lose touch with reality and quarrel with sound judgment. And this isolation becomes apparent. When the one who is self-isolating breaks out against sound judgment, as a proverb puts it. Literally, he quarrels with sound judgment, or what we might call common sense. This is how you tell the difference between those who are forced out of the community for the sake of the truth, or for the sake of Christ, and those who isolate themselves from the community. Those who isolate themselves lose touch with reality. On a broad level today, we can see this isolation in the wholesale rejection of the past today and that, uh, the rejection of the authority of the past as well. Arguably, beginning with the French Revolution, there has been a deepening rejection of the past in the West. This is a rejection of authority, especially the authority of the family and the church. It's an effort to isolate oneself from the past Today we see the results in in the breaking up of families and how loosely people are tied to the institution of the church. Our isolation from the order of the past results in the fracturing of our society, society today. You can think of the epidemic of loneliness that you see occasional articles about. There are evils in the authority of the past, that there was the bad authority, abusive authority, but in general, we do not look at what the past has given us with gratitude. We see the result of that in how many lose touch with reality today. We see the resulting foolishness most clearly in the declaration that some men are women and vice versa. That's the tip of the iceberg. Also, perhaps most strangely, and I've I've seen this more often recently, in the rejection of reason in some circles as a relic of the patriarchy. There's a war against common sense and sound judgment in our day. We're in a world, for example, that has almost completely accepted gay, gay marriage. And we seem far away from that world, but at the same time, these temptations are part of our world too. God has saved us so that we may be brought together into the new order of the Spirit, a good order, the community of God, the body of Christ. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 12. We can think of other places, Ephesians 5 and 6, where it talks about Man and wife, child and father, Colossians 3 and 4. Paul calls us to our place in the community of God, the good order of husband and wife, parent and child, elder and ward member in Christ. God has renewed the created order through Christ. Yet the sinful man within us hates God and our neighbor and... The old man is at work in the church, egged on by the prowling Satan. And it's easy to find excuses to isolate ourselves from that order. My parents are out of touch with this world, therefore I no longer need to honor them. My husband is a bad provider, so I distance myself from him. The elders aren't doing a good job of leading the church, so I will do my own thing on my own terms. Even if these are not true, our hearts know how to find a way to make them appear true. And even if they are true, isolation is not the correct answer. We've already hinted at the real problem here. By nature, my fault in nature, I hate God and my neighbor. And this can work itself out in two ways. I either lose myself in the crowd because I do not really care about justice and truth, or I isolate myself. I become a cynic or a perpetual critic, always able to find something wrong with others, but never willing to submit myself to the order and discipline of the broader community. And if we're honest, there's a little bit of the loner or the isolationist in all of us. We all have our hurts, we all have some sort of injustice in our past, and we all close ourselves off from one another. And it doesn't matter if you're a talker or more quiet. We know that people have their ways of closing themselves off from one another, even, even when they are chatty. What's the answer? It begins with God. That's the central problem. I have been separated from God the Father. And that's the problem in our society as well. Whatever the problem with revolutionary thinking and the rejection of the past we see today, the bigger problem, the central problem, is the rejection of the authority of God, and especially the authority of His Word in the Holy Bible. I need to come back to God And for that, I need Jesus Christ. That's that's the gospel. That's the good news. I can come back to God. The Bible describes the process of believing in Jesus Christ as one in which I become united with him. I submit myself to Him and I become united with Him. And He is good. I go to Him and then through the Spirit, I have the freedom to overcome my isolation from family members and from my church. He built a bridge to me through His cross so that I Can build bridges to other people. Jesus Christ allows me to keep my identity as I navigate my relationships. I belong to Jesus first and foremost, and that gives me the confidence to talk through my issues with my dad. I belong to Jesus first, and that allows me to talk through the issues with my husband or my wife. I can bear the pain of the past because I can put that on Jesus. That doesn't mean that every relationship is going to go wonderfully in your life. The old man is there. Also, you you might want to take the responsibility of building a bridge. That does not mean that the one whom you desire to reach out to is willing to receive that. But as much as you are responsible for your own words, thoughts, and actions in that relationship, take ownership of those things in the freedom of Christ Jesus. Sometimes that will mean loneliness, which as I have said is different from isolation. Loneliness comes from confidence in the truth. Isolation comes from defiance of good order. And the difference will be revealed over time. I encourage you that even if the bridges are not broken in life, between you and your family, you and your church, build them up, make them stronger. God comes to restore a relationship with you so that you can reflect him in building up the house of God. That brings us to our second point. In the church, God calls us to fight against isolation in the church. Of course, one of the major points where we often find a desire to isolate is in the church. And it's easy to slowly remove yourself from, the, uh, from responsibility in the, in the uh, body of Christ. We promise to the church in our profession of faith that we will respect the decisions of the elders in church discipline in our lives. We are saying that we will not isolate ourselves from the authority they have in our lives. We will respond to them gladly. And even if we have not professed our faith yet, the authority is still the same. All members of the local church are called to submit to that authority. Remember that that authority is ultimately given by God. Called in Scripture, however, is predominantly positive. We're called to positive action, to move toward, not isolation, but unity and togetherness. We read from 1 Corinthians 12, the call to be a body, eyes and ears and feet to one another. We can think of Philippians 2, where Christ calls us to share the mind of Christ. We might say the worldview of Christ. Notice the combination of togetherness and individuality here. You are called to work in the sphere that God has given you. Together with your brother in the sphere that God has given him. This, This call is wonderfully captured in the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. You've probably heard that word before. Which we often translate as Fellowship. Better translation might be partnership. It's a partnership in the proclamation of the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody in the church is proclaiming the gospel. Rather, we are working together as a body for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. We are all members of the mission of God. We've talked about the, new or, uh, the order of the new creation that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and 6. That order is devoted to the greater purpose of proclaiming the gospel. Husband with wife, family with family, children with parents, employee with employer, are all working together for this proclamation in the way they live together. When they take their proper place in that order, the gospel shines out all the more clearly, reflecting the renewal of the glory of God upon earth. We sang from Psalm 48, there we have Jerusalem pictured as a beautiful city, a beautiful city where the nations will come to. And that's not only an Old Testament picture. In Revelation 21 and 22, that picture is there as well. The nations come into the city of God. This partnership in the gospel is demonstrated in the willingness to share physical wealth with one another. We have a concrete symbol of that in in the taking of the offering where we share of our wealth with one another for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that physical sharing is meant to represent a deeper unity and fellowship in the congregation of God. So we're a partnership. Is that how you view your sister down the row from you? Is she a partner with you in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willingly stepping forward to give her the strength and the encouragement she needs? Do you view your husband as a partner in that army? Are you giving him the respect and the encouragement he needs to fulfill his calling? What about your wife? Are you encouraging her in her role in that partnership? And your brother, are you seeking to lord it over him? Or are you considering how you may encourage him? Do you seek to build up the church of Christ? Or do you withdraw... If you continue down this road of withdrawal from the life of the church further and further isolating yourself from the church of christ you may eventually lose christ himself as paul warns an ear when separated from the body is dead your excuses and your self-isolation lead to death and if anything breaks out against sound judgment it's the choice to move toward death and you can withdraw while still going to church every week we have a freedom in christ to build these bridges to one another it's easy to focus on one one another's responsibility to build bridges or reach out But God wants you to begin with your calling. Even if you're not in a position of authority, your actions can help to create peace and unity. Peter, for example, sees Christian wives of unbelieving husbands as essential in bringing their husbands to see Christ. How much more when your husband or father or elder shares the same faith you do when they are your partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that it all comes from God. Pray for the Spirit's work in binding us together in the bonds of love that he promises to us in Ephesians 4. One baptism, one Lord, one Spirit, one God and Father over all and in all he's working in us toward a victory that he has already accomplished and that brings us to our last point how we as a body act toward the world so isolation in the world can right away think of jesus point in matthew 5 You're the light of the world. Do not hide that light under a basket. And Paul channels this in 2 Timothy 1. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This particularly has been a temptation of, of conservative churches, as it has separated itself from more liberal churches over the past century. And I'm not only speaking of our churches, but of the conservative church in general as it has reacted to the liberalism that has swept through mainline churches in Europe and North America. And a lot of that is good. A lot of that is like Martin Luther. We stand our ground. It becomes problematic when we give in to fear. There's a deep fear of letting in the bad food of liberalism into the church. This is a temptation in most Most churches are not merely isolationist or engaged with their community. Most are in a tug of war between the spirit of fear and the spirit of love. And Timothy, too, had to deal with false teaching. But Paul says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has given you a spirit of power and love and self-control. That last one's important. God has given us the freedom to control our desires as we interact with false teaching. Paul wants to encourage Timothy in having an openness to the world around him because, because he has the power of the gospel, because he does not need to be ashamed of the gospel. If the church isolates itself from the world... It, too, seeks its own desire, not that of God the Father. I remind you again here that isolation is not loneliness. A church may feel very alone as it stands firm, especially on issues of sexuality. But that's different than isolating itself. We may be alone on certain things, but if our lamp is burning brightly again, think of Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. Then she is demonstrating the power and the love and the self-control of the gospel of God. If she hides her light, if she lives in fear, she seeks her own desire. And when she isolates, she does break out against sound judgment. Too often, Conservative churches have turned inward. and The result is that they do quarrel with common sense. Sometimes that common sense might be quarreled might be with by the particular beliefs themselves. More often, it's what they are willing to break with one another over. We find it strange when churches refuse to unite with another group that plays instruments in church, for example. On what type of things do we break out against common sense? On the other hand, when we engage with the world, we often get a better idea of what is most important. Something my dad often said, and something that I think is true, is that a focus on the mission of the church will help unite the church that focus on the fact that we are partners in the gospel of Christ, we are united in our desire to undermine the lies of Satan. We are part of the new creation that is presenting the good order of the Holy Spirit to the world. So if we're tempted to isolate ourselves from one another on a third-order issue, we must look again to what truly unites us, Our belief in God the Father who created heaven and earth. Our belief in Christ the Son who gave his life for us. And our belief in God the Spirit who unites us through word and sacrament. If we begin there, we have the grounds to work the foundation to work out other issues in the church. And if the church doctrinally or in practice begins to reject those things, that is where we are called to stand our ground. We're no longer isolating ourselves from the spiritual order of God. It's the church that is isolating herself from God's spiritual order. And if the church is actually separating herself from God, our responsibility is to stand against it. That takes wisdom. Understanding what it means to isolate oneself from the community takes wisdom. It takes wisdom to be a distinct voice in the community while continuing to view one another as partners of the, in the gospel. It takes wisdom to come back to a parent who has hurt you and reconcile, or a church that has hurt you and reconcile. It takes wisdom to reject the spirit of fear that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 1. can't capture it at all in one afternoon sermon. But God is with you. God has given us a spirit of wisdom and words of wisdom. So reflect on God's words found here in Proverbs 18 and how you can promote the partnership for the sake of the gospel that God desires. Serve God's desire not your desire. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing together from Psalm 103. We'll sing Psalm 103 verses 1, 2, and 8.